Hello, my name is Austin Habish, the founder of Think Catholic, your source for Catholic thought with both depth and devotion, and I'd like to thank you for joining us. Joining me is Clara Nowak. Hi. And Dr. Alan Fimister. Hello. As today we kick off the first in our three-part series titled Catholic Church and Conversion. On what leads one to become Catholic, or to return to being Catholic, or persevere as a cradle Catholic. These are our stories. In this first part of our series, we begin with our first category. Now, Dr. Femister, you weren't always Catholic, were you? No, no, I wasn't. I was, uh, I was not raised. I wasn't baptized as a child. I wasn't raised as a uh, in any religion at all. So and, uh, I was uh, um, expressly atheist for wow. a number of years. So then how does one go from expressly atheist to today? You're the theology professor at a Catholic seminary. Yes. Well, I um, my, as I say, I wasn't raised in any religion. My, my parents uh, were both baptized um, uh, for um, residual religious reasons. They were they are baby boomers, so they were born just after the war in a period in which a lot of people drifted from religious practice without formally repudiating their religions. Um, and uh, and so neither of them was raised as uh, churchgoers. Um, my mother is uh, technically Catholic. She was baptized in, in Catholic Church because she was born in continental Europe, um, and uh, my uh, half English, half French, and my father was um, is baptised in the Church of England, um, but didn't didn't ever go really to the Church of England, which is a, a non-practising Anglican was a vast proportion of the English population at that time, and um, uh, and my father's background is very very left wing. Uh, stalwart members of the Labour Party uh, on the sort of on the more left-wing end of that as well. Um, it's his family background, his father, um, and um, whereas my mother's from more uh, middle class. But my my upbringing was really in a Marxist context. So so my my uh, my father um, he he has a subtle position, but which uh, he would say is. Marxism is the easiest shorthand to describe it. Um, and now I, um, so to describe my conversion, I, my, at the time that I was born, my mother, who had been a school teacher, was re-qualifying as a social worker. And um, and she, um, the first job she got was with an organization called the Catholic Rescue Society, which was a, which was an organization the upper echelons of which were run by religious sisters and clergy in my home diocese, um, which helped to provide foster parents or adoptive parents for Catholic children who, for one reason or another, uh, couldn't live with their parents. And my mother got her first job as a social worker with them. And so my first encounters with the faith that I remember came through that um, Sometimes I couldn't go to the childminder that I I would usually go to during the day uh, for one reason or another, and my mother would take me into work, and so I'd meet religious sisters and, and come into contact with the faith. Uh, 
f uh, through that. Now, it's also true that um, I, uh, I was told a number of years ago by a very old family friend that once when I was a little boy, very small boy, I don't know, like four or five or something, we were on holiday with those family friends in Wales in a house that we'd rented, and there was a picture of our Lord um, in that house, and uh, and this the, the 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 wife of this couple was standing looking was standing looking at this picture. Then they weren't religious either, and um, and I sidled up to her and asked her a series of questions, very carefully phrased questions about who the picture was of, and and you know why he was important and all these kind of things, and then I kind of wandered off. And uh, and we were driving back uh, to my home, uh, several hundred miles away, and uh, we were all in the same car. This couple and my parents and me as a baby, well as a baby, as a little boy, and I was asleep. And um, my uh, and this lady recounted this incident to my parents, and uh, the other people in the car were stunned because apparently. I had asked the exact same sequence of questions to all four of the adults on that wow. holiday and waited until they were on their own so that they and had never mentioned that I'd asked any of the others or what Doc, their answers It reminds were. me of Jesus in the temple. That's a great parallel. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that same yeah. spirit that's in both of you, we could say. How old are you here, Doc? <laughs> well, I think I was four or five or something at the time apparently according to this lady i have I've no memory of this so what and i found it very amusing at the time because the degrees that i've done over the course of my life have been in history law philosophy and theology which i think is really covers that scenario quite closely <laughs> Those are the, you, four disciplines the four questions in... you think yeah <laughs> yeah I wanted to ask you also, you, you talked about um, your first experience with the faith was with religious sisters. Could you talk about that? Like, do, what do you remember about them? Or the witness, the witness they gave. So I, yeah. remember, I remember them being really nice. I mean, I just had a sort of positive, benign kind of memory of them. Sure. And the, the strongest memory, it was a big Victorian house, which had become the headquarters of this agency. And there was a, there was a in my memory, there was a big staircase sort of, you know, that went up round, round in the centre of the house. And set into that staircase was a statue of Our Lady, uh, I think pretty much as she's depicted on the Miraculous Medal. Mm -hmm. And I remember one of my earliest memories, really, as a little boy, is is staring at this statue and thinking how incredibly beautiful the lady was and... Uh, and how she, how she really loved and cared about me. Hmm. Wow. I don't know why I I, I knew that, um, and it never occurred to me that she wasn't a living person who knew me. Sure. I don't know again how I would have known that. Yeah. Um, and also I was I was worried about her her unshod feet and the snake she was standing on, <laughs> who looked quite aggressive. Um, you don't need to worry about so, that. So, She's got it. Yeah, yes. No. No. I now know I didn't need to worry about that. But, but so those are the two. Two. So that's my earliest memory of the faith. I think the incident with the picture of our Lord might well be prior to that, but I can't. I can't tell for sure because I don't remember that incident. Mm. Whereas I do remember um, looking at the statue of Our Lady. Um, we, we have a we have a system in Britain very unlike um, the United States, where um, Catholics got, even though Catholics are a much smaller minority in Britain than we are in America, um, Catholics were very uh, pushy about 
uh, state education uh, when it was introduced, that it was unjust that Catholics were asked to pay tax to provide schools that they couldn't send their children to because they were not Catholic schools. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, and we were sufficiently organized and orthodox back in those days, at the beginning of the 20th century, that we managed to intimidate the various British governments into agreeing to uh, fund Catholic schools through general taxation in proportion to the number of Catholics in the population, wow. a majority of whose uh, governors are appointed by the bishops. So the bishops retained control over these schools in theory and and genuinely did for a big chunk of the 20th century. Um, and uh, so these, so my parents, being socialists, were not did they disapproved of private education. Um, but these were these are technically state schools in the sense that they're they're provided free uh, to anyone who wants to go to them, and they're paid for out of general taxation, even though they're controlled by the bishops. Um, and um, and we just moved house around the time that my mother was working at this this organisation, and uh, and we've moved house to a, a house very close to one of these Catholic schools, um, a primary school as we call them in Britain, elementary school you'd call them in the states, and um, and these nuns uh, sisters rather were were keen that I should you know be nudged in the right direction, um, in terms of eternal salvation, and so they. Um, <laughs> So they arranged, even though I wasn't entitled to go to that school because I wasn't a Catholic and I didn't have any siblings uh, who were Catholics at the school, um, uh, or who were just at the school, I didn't have uh, none of the usual reasons that would entitle me to go to it other than geographical proximity obtained. But they managed to get an exception made for me, which was very convenient for my parents. So uh, So they went along with that and sent me to this Catholic school, St. Catherine's, Roman Catholic primary school. Were they concerned and, um, about you becoming Catholic? Did your parents have any concern that they would Catholicize you? I don't, I don't think they did at the time. And and I went originally to what, what you'd call a kindergarten, we called a nursery school, which is before the school proper. Sure. And we had prayers. Well, I remember we had prayers before meals. So I remember saying grace. And I remember the nursery school teachers telling me that telling everybody that you know god had made all the mountains and the clouds and the trees and the birds and all the animals and the flowers and the grass and and the whole world and the stars and the sun and the moon and i remember being filled with awe and gratitude and joy uh, about this when when i was told this um wow. and that's my first that's my first memory of being told about god um and at some point after that, I had a conversation about that with my father. My memory of it is also that was on a holiday in Wales. I don't know what Wales, what special mystical power Wales has here, but anyway. God's um, love for and, Wales, uh, it's God's country, apparently. <laughs> well, yes, but this was not such a positive conversation. Oh, so my okay. father explained to me that religion was invented by rich people in order to trick the poor people who they oppress and from whose misery they derive their wealth into not rebelling against them um, uh, because of a, a belief that they will give, be given a reward that doesn't really exist after they die. And so they keep their mouths shut waiting for this non-existent reward and that allows the wealthy to maintain their exploitative tyranny 
over the backs of the poor and that's that's how religion what's what religion is and how it was created oh. and um as yeah you, you know just so i just really yeah, on that on. that topic doc i i just had a conversation with um with someone i know that 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 hope that really allows someone to act justly in this life and uh, the example that came to mind is in early rome when those people who did not believe in eternal life when the plague hits they split you know they left the city it says um eusebius records it they would throw the sick into um you know the drains uh, around the city their own loved ones because they were trying to preserve this life so the hope of an eternal beatitude that is assured through christ and his grace it actually allows one to act more justly you know better in this life because he can abandon this one for justice's sake. So it's always hurt me that yeah. pie in the sky yeah. objection. But how did you, did you tell him that when you were a kid, Doc? You probably said. No, yeah. I didn't. No, no, I bought it completely 100%. Oh, yeah. So from that point onwards, I was an atheist. Um, yeah. And uh, over the, eventually I came to realize that that is an accurate description of Anglicanism, <laughs> but not of Catholicism. <laughs> yeah, married, <laughs> but, um, married by the state, but, used by the state. The <laughs> but that took yeah. me a, a long time to realize. So, sorry, just yes. to cut in. Oh, sorry, um, yeah. So I, I teach at a Catholic school, and that kind of response from a parent to the child who they're sending to a Catholic school about Catholicism is um, is something that seems to happen quite a bit. I'm not present for those conversations, but students will tell me that this is the view of their parents. And I guess, I get again, I always wonder, like, why are you sending your kid to a Catholic school then? Like if I, if I were firmly opposed to plumbing, I thought plumbing was this, this stupid invention um, where the rich were exploiting the poor. I would not willfully send my kid to a plumbing school. So it, it just seems so strange to me. Do you, do you know why, like if he was so with such strong opposition to Catholicism, why did they continue to send you to Catholic school? Was it just out of convenience? Like, what do you think was going on? Well, technically, although I believe this is almost never happens nowadays, but technically, uh, even the non-Catholic state schools are supposed to have a religious, broadly Christian assembly. Oh, I think every okay. morning. I don't think it ever happens, but it did happen when my father was a, a was a was a young man so he would have gone to a school like that where there was a generically christian assembly and there was a class called scripture knowledge which he came top of the class in despite being a <laughs> marxist um wow. and uh, so so in that sense my father wouldn't have thought it was like a a, a massive difference to oh, send okay. me to a there's not really school, way to even though in it. fact yeah really it would have been a massive difference because in fact by that time in the 80s uh, an act, uh, a non-catholic school would not have been religious at all okay um but but in fact in theory uh he would have seen it as less of a difference and of course being a marxist my father also would have thought that the whole of british society was dominated by ideologies intending to serve the oppression of working people mm. Uh, and and Catholicism would just be one of those. So so he would have thought that 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 a, a false consciousness intended to serve the status quo would have been permeated all institutions and not just a Catholic school. So in that sense, it it wouldn't make that much difference. Mm. Also, I should say that 
I wasn't in any way raised in a sort of brain, ideologically brainwashing fashion. My father uh, and my mother, um, but my, my father's family particularly, a high, highly articulate, argumentative family that, that would always discuss political and philosophical questions over meals with great gusto. So my father didn't like tell me, you know, no, shut up. There isn't a God. This is how it is. Mm-hmm. When we had that conversation, he presented the arguments for the things that he believed. Yeah. So, I mean, it wasn't like it wasn't like he was, you know, trying to turn me into a sort of obnoxious anti-clerical thorn in the side of, yeah. of, of, of my yeah, school. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Go ahead. But I did completely buy into uh, what he said, um, I was convinced by that, and and I and I articulated that, and I argued in favour of of a pretty rigorous form of socialism that was more or less communist, really, um, uh, from that time until the very end of my time at that school, which would have been when I was ten. Um, but um, but that school was very a very Catholic Catholic school. It was more it more Catholic than. A lot, of, a lot of Catholic schools were well on their way to being nominally Catholic, and many, many, unfortunately, now of those uh, tax-supported Catholic schools are are extremely nominal in their Catholicism. That wasn't true, certainly, of St. Catherine's when I started going there, and uh, in my in my third and fourth year there. Um, I had a teacher from Ireland uh, to who, whom I owe a vast, vast amount uh, called Mrs. McCreevy, who, who was who was extremely pious. And she, you didn't normally have the same teacher for two years, but thank God I did have her for two years continuously. And she was, um, and she pretty much made every subject she possibly could into a proxy for Catholic religious education. Um, so pretty much only mathematics <laughs> was safe from being a parable. Because mathematics is already I mean, so close to understanding the the, truth. the, the yeah. order of Absolutely. the mind of God. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's not necessary to do any more. That's probably we'll what just, she uh, Teach the subject itself, but the but yeah, I remember we like drew the coats of arms of the English cardinals um, in art and in history. We learned about. Saint Gregory the Great sending Saint Augustine of Canterbury to Kent to convert Saint Ethelbert, and um, uh, yeah, I mean everything really was permeated with with the Catholic faith. And she taught us the Catholic faith very rigorously and correctly. And uh, you know, every day began with prayers. You know, we had prayers before lunch break. I think we had prayers before and after morning and afternoon breaks. We had prayers when we began again. In the afternoon, we had grace before our lunch and at the end of our lunch. Um, every, every Thursday, um, we would have a uh, we would have a, a hymn practice where we would practice the hymns for the mass, which we had every Friday. One of the Dominicans from the parish, which had originally founded the school, would come in and say mass for us every week. And um, in fact, I had no idea they were Dominicans. I just thought all priests dressed in Dominican habits. I thought that's what what priests were. Mm-hmm. And um, and the and on Mondays we had um, uh, we had a religious assembly in which the headmaster, Gunner Watson, he was known apparently to his colleagues. He, Mr. Watson, he was a he had been the gunner on a Wellington bomber during World War Two, and um, and he. Uh, 
he would tell a sort of edifying story to do with the faith. Um, uh, he would always sit in this very high chair when he told us it. Um, and yeah, I mean, it was it was a very Catholic Catholic school. And um, but I was still resolutely an atheist through all this. I remember one of the most, but I actually yeah well yes, uh, one of the most striking things that happened to me during that time is a friend of mine, my best friend at school, he brought in a very old family Bible that his his family had come from a village in in Westmoreland, which is a county in a very rural county in the northwest of England, um, near the lakes. Um, he brought in this very old family Bible, his his mother's family from there for hundreds of years. And, and anyway, it had um, had this terrifying picture of hell in it. Uh, it, it showed the devil it was like these blackened mountains and it showed the devil as this sort of looking rather like, you know, in the, uh, in Dante, but, but sort of like a sort of bat type dragon type humanoid thing chained to this enormous gridiron laid across these blackened mountains. And there was fire bursting up, uh, from beneath this gridiron. And, and there was the plumes of fire coming out of the, squares with souls burning in these plumes and demons going backwards and forwards across the across the gridiron with pitchforks pushing the souls back down it may have grown in my imagination i don't know i haven't seen it since i was six or seven years yeah, old wow so, that's a vivid but, memory uh, yes um uh, yeah i was really frightened by that picture and um and i remember um thinking uh yeah, I remember sort of being really worried about hell, despite being officially an atheist. Um, and uh, yes, so and everyone else had their first Holy Communion, um, and you know I did all the classes and everything, but I didn't didn't have my first Holy Communion because I wasn't baptized. And I remember I was driving home from school once with my mother, and I must have been about seven. And um, and I said to my mother, I said, said, could I become an Anglican, and um, uh, and my mother said, "Why would you want to become an Anglican?" And I said, "Because Mrs. McCreevy says that being Anglican is like being a Catholic, except you just don't believe in anything." Oh. And, uh, <laughs> and, and my mother that's, thought that was absolutely burn. hilarious. Yeah. She said that was the best definition of Anglicanism. Oh, <laughs> so you were and, hoping uh, to win over your parents. So it's, you know, can I be religious and not religious at the same? Is that why uh, you? Well, it wasn't that. I just thought I could perhaps participate in the parties surrounding the first only communion <laughs> without having to adopt the beliefs oh, wow. associated. I thought that was like officially what the Church of England was. I didn't realize that they, they would have been annoyed at that definition. Sure. Of but, uh, and, but I mean, I did have this strong sense that I remember attending a, a Guy Fawkes night bonfire at the local Anglican church and discussing this with some friends of mine from school. Um, I mean, when I was about that age, I, I had this strong sense, and people do in England have this sense that that there is the real Christian church, which is the Catholic church. And then there is, and they have, and then there's the fake church set up by the government to facilitate Henry VIII's extramarital activities and that's the church of england and they've stolen all the catholics buildings i mean that is basically certainly when i was a kid everybody kind of really knew that was what was going on and then we knew there were all these other protestant denominations made up of people who were who believed in 
what Henry VIII pretended to believe in in order to steal all the buildings and abandon his wife. And wow. that was all yeah. the different little Protestant donations. And, and, and people really did, ha did have that kind of general idea, even though they weren't themselves practicing and they weren't necessarily religious and they didn't necessarily believe, but they, they kind of knew that that's how it was. There was real Christianity, fake government Christianity, and then rival claimants to be real Christianity that were very fractured and various. And I definitely had that sense as an atheist. As a child? Wow, yeah. So the school became a bit less religious over the years. The headmaster retired and somebody else came in and and I wasn't taught by that lady anymore. And um, and then um, uh, and then when I was 10, I, um, I was lying awake in bed one night I uh, couldn't get to sleep, partly because I think I turned the radiator up too high that was quite close to my bed and it was uh, too hot. Um, but anyway, I couldn't get to sleep and it, it suddenly struck me that uh, whenever we'd said the Our Fathers and Hail Marys and Glory Bees that we said all the time at school and certainly had said much more uh, when Mrs. McCreevy had been teaching me, um, and whenever we went to mass and said prayers and grace before meals and all these things, that I had completely earnestly and sincerely offered all of those prayers to God the Father and the Blessed Trinity and, and Our Lady. Um, and that it, it had never actually, I'd never actually noticed that that didn't make any sense because I was a, a vociferous atheist communist. Uh, so how could I be offering those prayers? And uh, I then... It made me realize, and this is the slight strange thing from my point of view in my conversion, is that I don't really remember when I converted to the Catholic faith because uh, as I was thinking about this, I realized that I knew that the Catholic faith was true and that I had known that the Catholic faith was true for as far back as I could remember. And it had never really struck, I, I hadn't really noticed the fact that I was officially an atheist and yet I knew that the Catholic faith was true. I, and that made me that I was then very, very frightened because I, I knew from Mrs. McCreevy that the one group of people who absolutely always go to hell, she told us this, are people who know that the Catholic faith is true and don't become Catholics. Wow. So then, then I began to think, well, I remembered her having said that. And in fact, I remember asking her about this many years previously when I when I'd seen that picture of of hell in my friend's family Bible, um, uh, she'd said that someone who doesn't commit a single actual sin, she told us, would go to limbo and not to hell. And uh, so I I started counting the number of actual <laughs> sins that I commit in a given day. Oh, and wow. you know how kids are you know, obsessed with, like, what's a bigger number than a million and what's a bigger number than a billion and what's a bigger number than a trillion? I don't know if you ever get that. You ever come across a little kid who starts asking you that? So I started thinking that I must be committing hundreds of sins, if not thousands, every day just through laziness or lack of charity or being rude about somebody. On, on. So I began to realize that I was, you know, that I had a vast and terrifying weight of sin guaranteeing my eternal damnation on top of the fact that I knew the Catholic faith was true and I hadn't done anything about it. And... Um, and I knew that the one thing that could eradicate all sin, all guilt and all punishment due to sin was baptism. And so I got out of bed 
and I went to see my mother and I asked her whether she could arrange to have me baptized. And she said um, that I should uh, wait a month and come back. And if I still wanted that after a month, she would arrange for me to talk to a Catholic priest. It's so well, just, that's what And you were 10? Yes. Wow. So much to be said on that, Doc. I, speaking to the, the dilemma, the, the war breaking out in your heart, that you, you are very certain on, on one hand that, that it's all true. God exists. You know, Jesus is God, the Catholic faith. He's instituted this church. And, and then on the other hand, there's this intellectual dilemma or gymnastics that's going on that is somehow it's, 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 bl- you know, it's blurring or it's, it's clouding that which you know to be so certain. And I wonder how many Catholics will run into an argument or they'll, they'll run into a, a class possibly, and they'll just get confused that intellectual confusion and still maintain in their heart those things which they know for certain. But your story really is showing just how much damage can be done with an argument or, or a shade of doubt, even when one is so thoroughly con, you know, certain of what is true. But you've got to remember, I wasn't baptized, so, so I don't know, I don't know, I didn't know anything about the Trinity when I saw that. As far as I know, I don't know because uh, I don't remember that conversation about about that picture of our Lord in the house in Wales. I, uh, I can't imagine that I was given a a full description of the doctrine of the Trinity in the course of that conversation. I'd be surprised. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I I know that Mrs. McCreevy explained very accurately the doctrine of the Trinity and that I understood. Um, in in the to the degree necessary to make an assent, the doctrine of the Trinity, um, from the time that I was taught by Mrs. McCreevy, um, so I don't know, but I don't. But and when I was ten and I realised that I knew the Catholic faith was true, I didn't know when it was I'd come to know that the Catholic faith was true. So I assume that I've made an act of faith at some point between Mrs. McCreevy and that realization when I was 10, but I don't know when I did Hmm. Um, because it was a realization of something that had already happened, um, which is, I don't know how common that is. um, For sure. And just the incredible amount of contrition that you're experiencing here, that, that grace is coming. You know, well, I think it was. It may well have been attrition, oh, <laughs> rather sure. than contrition. Sure. There was a lot of fear. Yeah, fear of hell, specifically. Yeah. Well, I did have genuine guilt. I mean, I did genuinely recognise the, the culpability of all the sins. It wasn't that I just was frightened. It wasn't like a list of meaningless rules that I thought I was going to be arbitrarily punished for. I definitely realised the intrinsic malice involved in all of the sins, and the justice involved in their punishment um but i but whether or not my terror well, yeah i mean the terror was definitely fear of hell uh, whether or not it was how much of it was was from the pure love of god or not i have absolutely no idea sure so a month passes yeah. and what happens yes so so i went back to see my mother and um said that i still wanted to get baptized and she she initially approached the chaplain of the university, um, uh, but he didn't want to deal with that. I don't <laughs> know who he was. Or, um, uh, 
And so she asked the headmistress, who'd succeeded Gunnar Watson, and she suggested uh, one of the Dominicans from the local parish. And um, so uh, he came to see me. And uh, uh, he's he's a lovely man, and um, I am very grateful to him. And uh, um, he's still alive, thank God. Uh, though he's uh, he doesn't he's not in my hometown anymore, um, and um, uh, he he's definitely of a more of a less precise and um, uh, catechetical mode of communication than Mrs. McCreevy. Um So I I think I I I was probably less well in. I mean I was a little bit more. I made it his instruct under his instruction i made it to the font um i don't know that that i was as clear in my head as i was in a way just coming forth from mrs mccreevy mm-hmm. um by the time i got there um and the funny thing is i'd basically only been to mass once in my entire life at that point when i attended my schoolmates first holy communion that was the only occasion i'd ever been to mass by wow. before I uh, started being instructed to go into the church, um, uh, yeah. So I, so I, um, uh, and I mean, I don't know how far you've experienced this phenomenon. I actually have quite a number of friends who converted as a result of reading, of hearing the communication of the faith um, from books mm-hmm. or other sources, and. Uh, I've certainly gone through the experience, people very dear to me who, thank God, have become Catholics, um, who I've just been terrified about taking them to Mass because the the, the quality of homiletics is not what it might be. Right. You just don't know. <laughs> what they read in books <laughs> yeah, is often yeah. a lot more reliable. You just don't know um, what you're going to get. And then, I mean, the wisdom of those church fathers <laughs> that even if you yeah. were to go to Mass, you would not be there past what the gospel or the homily that when they call yeah, to the doors right, yeah. and you would leave. So it, it really yeah. is for the initiated, I think is what they would have been termed. So it's, it's just not the first place to put someone who wants to learn about the faith. I, I agree completely. In my experience, it's always been that you finally get that person to go to mass. And then the homily is just either just about asking for money to fund the parish or just like something <laughs> totally off the wall, just like the priest's personal, like political views about the governor or something. Yeah, it's so awkward. You roll the like, dice. Like it's not normally like this. I promise. Normally they talk about Jesus. <laughs> were you going to I the? Mean, ma- I must say, in defense of my of the Dominicans in that parish, I mean, it was they were very, uh, it it was very, uh, the, the 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 prior, at the time was a very holy man called Father Adrian Dowling, who um, was from a local family, and um, and he. Um, he was, um, and and they, they said the mass with great dignity, and uh, the, the the sense of the real presence um, uh, was um, was very strong. Um, uh, and the, the the my parish church is a very beautiful church, um, paid for by very poor people. Well, not very very poor, but people hardworking shipyard workers um, uh, in the. 19th and early 20th centuries and um and uh yes i mean i mean there was there was a lot very good there 
although I, I do feel that, that you know I did was I did get better catechesis considerably better from Mrs McCreevy than 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 later on but so so oddly I was more confused about the faith and more sort of wandering and meandering I think in my early teenage years than I was before I was baptized hmm. but nevertheless I was I was baptized uh, on the 9th of August 1987 and uh, entered the church and so so I had a very different experience uh, to that of many of my schoolmates so they their teenage years were ones in which they wandered away from such practices of faith as they had received in their families whereas my teenage years were ones in which I, I very much identified myself as a Catholic and slowly got back to the point of being properly catechized. I sort of d discovered the faith for myself, as it were, over the course of... Because of, of, I left that school, that primary school, before I was baptized. I was baptized in the summer holiday between uh, leaving St. Catherine's and going to my secondary school. What was um, what were the main um, yeah. ways that you became catechized? Was it primarily through books? And if so, like, did you seek them out or did you have, like, how did that happen? Well, there was, there was, uh, this is silly, really, but there was, there was something which is, uh, we had quite good religion teachers. They, 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 they weren't as good as Mrs. McCreevy, but they were pretty good um, in my secondary school. And, um, uh, but I remember there's one particular moment that was quite important for me. I think I would have been about 15 or something. And there was there was a girl who I was slightly besotted with at my secondary school who wasn't <laughs> a Christian. And I said, um, uh, it's going to be embarrassing if she ever listens to this podcast. Yes. Anyway, um, uh, she, was, she was a Hindu. And I... Um, and I was talking to the head of the religion department at my school during uh, during break. So the kids were all playing in the playground. The head of the religion department was standing on the steps of his of the building that his classroom was in, and he was just sort of surveying. He was on he was on uh, yard duty, so he was surveying, you know, the kids, making sure was, nobody was killing anybody else, mm -hmm. that kind of thing. And uh, I was chatting to him, and. Um, and I was saying to him, well, you know, um, uh, in Christianity, there's, you know, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. There's kind of like three gods. I know that's technically not how it is, <laughs> oh, but, wow. you know, but they're, and they're all really one god. Um, and, um, and so in Hinduism, you know, there's trillions of deities and they're all really one god. So it's not that different, really, is it? And he was a pretty kind of, I, I don't know if it's fair to say he's liberal, but I mean, he was... He was very ecumenical, let's put it that way, and he um, and he really didn't want to say no, because he didn't want to sound, you know, intolerant and non-friendly. But he also had enough concern for his own soul that he didn't want to say yes either. Mm. And so, and I was really pushing him to say yes to that, and partly because I realised he was trying to dodge the question, mm -hmm. so it was slightly amusing me after a while. And uh, and he was trying to avoid, and eventually he said. He kind of burst out, well, you could say that, Alan, if you were a heretic. Oh, <laughs> wow. Gotcha. And, uh, That's a good response uh, to a student's uh, question. It is, but it took him a while to pluck up the determination yeah. to say that. And um, uh, But God bless him. Um, and uh, and I, that was, the, I got this, you know, this sense then that there were clear, you know, you could 
work out what was was the boundaries of p possible opinion and, and what transgressed those boundaries and there were objective ways of discovering the answers to those questions which was not a popular thing to tell anybody in the late 80s and early 90s it's still not <laughs> um, a popular thing to tell people yep. <laughs> and um and i think it must have had a big effect on me quite quickly because i remember probably not that long after that a couple of years or something another one of these uh, religion teachers a great fellow he said to me um says to me the thing with you alan is that there are clearly defined areas of doubt and uncertainty which was uh, he was joking i mean that 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 it's the nature of doubt and uncertainty that it not be clearly defined but that i but that i had this sense that you know I was always interested to know where the lines were to be drawn, and mm. from that point onwards. And uh, no one bought me a copy of Denzinger for many, many years after that. But uh, that was more or less what I was looking for mm. from that point onwards. And um, uh, towards the end of my time at secondary school, so um, between the ages of 16 and and um, uh, 16 and 18, I I. I actually chose to study because in Britain, in England anyway, you study like sort of nine or ten subjects um, when you're up to when you're 16, and then you you narrow it down to three between the ages of 16 and 18, and then you choose one of them to apply to university for. So we don't have this thing like in the states where you where you do a lot of different. Um, things as part of your undergraduate degree and then you only just focus on your major in the second half of that degree we've got through all that before you go to university mm. you go to university to do chemistry or history or or polit political whatever you know you don't study anything other than your subject when you get to university so but you narrow down between 16 and 18 and and I was I took an additional subject to the three which you could do and and theology and they just started doing theology, and uh, in the end I wasn't they weren't far ahead enough with it was the first year they'd ever taught theology of to that level at the school, they weren't far ahead enough for me to really do the full qualification so I did the half of it you can do do a sort of half the qualification. Um, but but it was tremendously stimulating and interesting. And one of the one of the religion teachers who taught me scripture studies and and natural theology is a good friend of mine. To this day, I always go out for for a pint with him whenever I go home to uh, my hometown. Uh, James, his name is, and, and uh, he's a he's a great guy. They were all really quite good people. Those uh, religion teachers, and so so that's that really got me at least on the way to sorting out um, what is and isn't properly part of the Catholic faith got me to an 18-year-old's knowledge of the faith that, in, that was that was analogous to the knowledge of the faith, the eight-year-old, the, sorry, the seven-year-old or eight-year-old knowledge that Mrs. McCreevy had left me. <laughs> Praise God. What did your me. parents think about all this? I think they thought... I don't know. I might be doing an injustice, but I think they thought, well, he's converting now and he's 10, 11. So he's probably going to, you know, puberty will put paid to that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so, so they probably thought that, that it wouldn't last that long. Although I must say that my mother definitely was, if I showed signs of not going to mass on Sunday or something, she would be irritated oh, that's wonderful. at my lack of moral fiber, even though she wasn't herself that's a believer. Wonderful. So did you um, did you take yourself to mass by yourself, like just alone? 
Did you walk to the church? Yeah, I did. Sunday? Yeah, I mean, I, I, nobody told me that going to Mass on Sunday was compulsory. So my mother was very helpful in, in castigating me for being pathetic if I didn't get to Mass on Sunday. <laughs> um, I love that. Uh, yeah, so there was never any break in my practice. I may not have got to Mass every single Sunday uh, until finally that, that art religion teacher, uh, James, he told me, that uh, that it's a mortal sin not to go to wow. mass on Sunday. I was like, ah, yeah, it's funny. <laughs> I remember when he told me that, and there was another girl, Claire, who was in my class, and she she was um, she was also horrified. Nobody had told her that either, and she was a cradle Catholic. Um, yeah, I, uh, that's that's funny. I still think something sl- that definitely slip slips through the yeah, cracks. The catechesis. This super important. <laughs> oh, it's a mortal sin. Well, praise God for Miss uh, yeah. McGreevy. Really, who's Mrs. It, McCreevy? McCreevy. Yeah. I'm tremendously grateful to. Her. I have a, I have a, a reliquary, in my house with a, first-class relic of Saint Dominic in it, and there's also in that is a prayer card that she gave me when I left my primary school, which has a sort of, uh, you know, so some words that she wrote on the back of it, and it's very precious to me. Um, That's beautiful. Because I'm very, very grateful to you. What a fantastic witness to the profound impact that Catholic school teachers like yourself, Claire, are having on your students. Well, One, hopefully. you have to pray for me. That's why. Yeah, and uh, for Miss McGreevy, or ask for her prayers if she's in heaven. So, one last question here, Doc, for you is: moving, you know, fast forwarding many, many years, you know, Catholic seminary teacher, Doc, of all the things you could do professionally with that Catholic faith, which God has given you, which Miss McGreevy and uh, many others have fostered through your life, you could, you know, full-time write books, uh, you could work at another institution, you could work at a parish. So the seminary, very briefly, I'm sure you could speak for a very long time about it, but what what drew you to to do that with your faith, to instruct uh, priests uh, in religious uh, upcoming? Well, what I eventually did do at university as an undergraduate was history, and um, and I, I, um, I read, and I started off doing some quite early history. So I, remember I and one of the things that we had to read for my first term was um, some extracts from Saint Augustine, City of God, and I, I, um, I decided to bite the bullet and read the whole thing instead. So in the summer before I went to university, I read the whole of the City of God, and. Um, and um, I must say that also was a massive, uh, had a massive effect on me. Um, I mean, I had a wonderful history teacher who's actually Anglican, wonderful lady, uh, Miss Cadman, and um, and she's brilliant. And um, and and we studied the English Reformation, so a lot of the theology um, in that, uh, you know, I got deeper into the theology and and the questions surrounding Henry VIII's break with Rome. Um, uh, and why it was wrong, and um, and I ended up reading the City of God. He got me into Oxford University, which I was very grateful for. Um, and uh, um, and and I and in my in my summer before going to university, I read the City of God. And really, at that point, there's a sort of moment when you know you're sufficiently within the pull of the black hole that you know there's no escape. You know, the bottomlessness of the faith just sort of draws you in and. And the desire to just know more and more and more and more about our Lord's self-communication in the Holy Catholic faith and to share in that self-communication in one's own small degree by passing it on to others just becomes overwhelming. Yeah, and uh, really so that's um, that's why why I couldn't really ever turn back at a certain point. I see. 
so the the great desire to continue learning and and to be in an institution which you could impart that learning to others Claire yes. do you have any any last thoughts on no just thank you for sharing your story with us I think that I mean it, it was it's really inspiring for me to hear that because um, sometimes teaching in a Catholic school um, sometimes it does you don't always see um, the fruit of your labor and so it's hearing that story about Mrs. McCreevy is just beautiful um, to see how how your you encountered God first in the in the sisters um, that you met through through the the um, what was the organization called the Catholic Foster yeah the Catholic or, Rescue Society I don't Catholic think Rescue Society anymore, yeah yeah um, but there were there were a couple of moments that really stood out to me like your description of the statue of Our Lady how art how how the presence of beauty um can be such a powerful tool of um of it it can be such a prerequisite for faith um the presence of beauty um but i yeah i really i really appreciate especially the story about mrs mccreevy and how at such a young age you were able to encounter god in his church so thank you for sharing that yeah praise god not at all Thank, thank you for listening. Thank you, Doc. And as a, I guess a small preview, I will be the next of the three of us to give my story. My teacher will be Mrs. Lane. That will be my Miss McGreevy. <laughs> and my book from St. Augustine will be The Confession. So we're going to have some parallels in our stories, Doc. So I look forward to, uh, to sharing. But thank you again. Uh, the verse that comes to mind for me, Romans 10, 20, a quote, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. And quote that that all of us, including yourself, Doc, in seeking and in finding God, it is it is a gift and the result of God seeking after us and finding us. And so we thank God for the gift of your witness and your faith. Thanks again for sharing. And so stay tuned for those listening for Claire and I's story soon to come. Again, this is Think Catholic. My name is Austin Habish, along with Claire Nowak and Dr. Alan Femister. And thanks again for joining us. <laughs>